Williams is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shab Speaker Series. This week, Marin Williams and Marie Gray from MarinWilliamsPsychotherapy.com and TherapyWithMarie.com share, I had no clue they were depressed when depression is hidden. And we are both therapists right down the road, um, and we are doing a talk today that is called When Depression is Hidden. And just a little bit about myself and Marin. Um, I'm originally from Boston, which is kind of a fun fact. Um, I moved down here to go to grad school at UT. I have had a myriad of jobs, ranging from working with the football program at UT, which is very interesting, to being a high school counselor at LASA and LBJ, and also a career counselor at Texas State. Um, I specialize in working with teens, young adults, and adults. Um, I use what is called solution-focused therapy and goal-oriented therapy that I find works really well with the teen population. Um, I also have a specialty that's unique to myself. I work with type 1 diabetic families um, who are either newly diagnosed and going through that process, or the teen has had diabetes for a while and just needs some extra support. I'm Marin, um, and like Marie said, we both work down the way. Um, I have been in practice since um, 2007, but not private practice. I worked in various agencies. Um, I worked um, for Williamson County Crisis Center up in um, Round Rock, and I did counseling in the schools there for Taylor and Hutto schools. Um, after that, I worked um, at a place that had a contract with CPS, so did a lot of CPS contract work with families. Um, and then from there, I worked at Phoenix House, um, worked with adolescent substance abuse, and worked with families in treatment and getting them support in their outpatient program. And then um, before going into private practice, I worked at UT for two years in their counseling and mental health clinic. Um, so I've worked very much with all age ranges. Um, doing some as young as play therapy and then also working with uh, college students as well in particular as they prepare to branch off into the world. Um, I'm born and raised in Austin and you'll have to forgive me public speaking is not my thing so just be patient with me I might stumble a little. So, um, so with our presentation today we're going to talk about hidden depression we're going to give a little bit of information about um, high-functioning depression, um, and from there, we'll talk a little bit about how, what the signs and symptoms are, um, talk about how that relates to social media and how that's impactful, and then what you can do about it. So something that we hope you can take from this and be very practical um, and useful in your world with your kids and adolescents. So to begin, the main question is, what is high-functioning depression? So, here's what it can look like on the outside. Happy, smiling, high-functioning like the title implies. Um, and here's what it can look like on the inside. Isolated, sad, depressive symptoms, feeling like a failure. Ironically, which makes high-functioning depression very tricky, the depressive symptoms that people know commonly are the ones that are hidden. And the symptoms of high-functioning depression that are outside are what a lot of us identify as a happy, normative teenager. So here's some characteristics of high-functioning depression. So everyday routines feel exhausting. Um, hard to make plans, hard to follow through with plans. 
seeking help feels like a monumental task. A lot of times it's like, no, I'm fine. I'm still doing what I need to be doing. Um, I don't need the help as well as I don't have the energy to go ahead and try to get the help. How do you, as Marie mentioned, how you feel on the inside does not match how you feel on the outside. That's a big characteristic of high-functioning depression. Also, you're the harshest critic of everyone, including yourself. People don't understand how you could be depressed. Um, a lot of times they'll receive those comments from other people. They might mention that they're feeling sad or um, depressed, and they're like, well, you're happy. You seem you're doing everything. You're participating. You're winning all these awards. Making and sticking with plans can be difficult. Relationships are more challenging than anyone realizes. Social media can make it easier to hide the depression. Self-care feels completely impossible. I can't do this. I don't have time for this. I don't have any energy for this. And you feel zero sense of accomplishment. You could have just won the award for something and it doesn't land. It doesn't register. And then high functioning doesn't mean there isn't a risk of self-harm. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. So in particular, these are the signs and symptoms of high-functioning depression. I'm going to list through them, but you'll notice a lot of them are very similar to depression itself, um, major depression. There's low and depressed mood, um, decreased motivation. Uh, it is hard to do, you know, you'll have crying spells. It's hard to function throughout the day. The difference between major depression, the big differences between major depression and high-functioning depression is that high, is the duration, the severity, and the functioning. So with the duration, it lasts longer than major depression typically does, but it's at a lower level. Um, some people may describe it as like a gray cloud that follows them or just heavy feeling, no energy. Um, the severity looks different because as you're noted, as you know, we talked about, the outside doesn't match the inside. So they're able to do, you know, get up, go to school. They're able to, or, you know, if, um, major depression, you think of, you know, the typical case of major depression, can't get out of bed, you're sleeping all day long, you're isolated from others. And so it's a lot easier to spot when your kid isn't brushing their teeth and showering and going to classes and skipping out on classes. Whereas high-functioning depression, they're able to do all of those things, but they're carrying around with them a heavy weight. Um, so, and one of the um, differences, too, is um, this lack of interest in pleasure and activities, which is uh, found in major depression, is also found in high-functioning depression. It is harder to suss out because they are still making plans and following through with some of them, but you, you might find that they're canceling or they're late or they don't actually enjoy any of the things they're actually doing when they're trying to connect with their peers. Um, morbid rumination or suicidal thinking um, can be a part of that. So that's the um, self-harm piece as well as um, suicidal risk. So morbid rumination and suicidal thinking look a little bit different. So morbid rumination, as the name suggests, is reoccurring thoughts about death. Um, I don't want to be here. I wish just sleep and never wake up. I wish something could happen to me so I don't have to deal with this. So it's a 
to more passive suicidal thinking with no acts. I don't want to do anything to myself. I don't want to hurt myself. Um, um, it is still concerning to look at, too, and I wanted to make that distinction where suicidal thinking, there's active plans um, and uh, thoughts about how um, but both of those can still be a part of high-functioning depression. Um, it can include self-harm behaviors. We often think of self-harm behaviors as cutting, maybe cutting oneself or burning or pulling on hair. But self-harm can also be high-risk behaviors like being um, uh, uh, unprotected sex, um, as well as um, you know, riding in fast cars without seatbelts. So those are some of all what we self-harm behaviors. <laughs> How does this translate to teenagers? Um, it's harder to find in the high achieving. Um, it's harder to pick out in the high achieving tendency to perfectionism, which can happen in our very um, uh, successful schools. Um, it can be a big part of that. Um, there is with significant academic expectations, there's that um, that feeling of they just need to continue to do and perform while they're not recognizing what's going on on the inside because they've got this next test and this next homework piece and they've got this performance uh, doesn't allow a lot of connection with maybe what's happening inside. Um, there are peer pressures and stressors to perform. Um, it is a natural age from others. So your teenager, as you find, might naturally in the room more, not want to talk to you as much. So it's a lot harder to pinpoint because that's part of teenage life. Hormones, as you notice too, they can be moody, ups and downs. So what is depression, you know, what is the depression piece and what is just like the hormonal surge with that? Um, and then the impact of social media, which Marie will talk about in a minute. So now we're going to look at Exactly what is masking? Masking is a term that is related to high-functional depression and is a very commonly used term, especially by therapists when working with a teen who is dealing with high-functioning depression. Um, this picture that you see here was drawn by one of my clients <coughs> who clearly is very talented, um, and also he did give me permission to use it. He was actually very excited about it. Um, and I think that it depicts what high-functioning depression really looks like, um, especially in the lens, through the lens of a teenager. Um, it literally feels like they're wearing a mask. So if you've ever gone to a business meeting and you've had something really hard happen to you the previous day or you're going through something difficult within your family, you're not at the business meeting weeping, being, well, you might be being a little bit agitated, but people generally are not going to pick up on it. That's how a teenager is going around school when they are dealing with high-functioning depression. It is very rare for people to pick up on the fact that on the inside, they are not doing well. And we call this masking. So what can it look like specifically? Kind of like the picture that I showed you a couple of slides previous, smiling, <laughs> saying that things are fine, which I'm sure you know is a very common term in the teenage population. Um, it's a huge trigger for picking up on the fact that a kid could be struggling with high-function depression. Also, 
fact that these kids tend to not offer a lot of details about their own personal life because the more that they divulge, the more that they might be letting in someone who can figure out that they're actually not doing well. Um, I know that it's very common for most teenagers to be like this all day long, um, but this is something that is a great hiding tool for someone who does not want anyone to know what is going on on the inside. So looking at the phone a lot, using the phone for distraction, um, this is another way to identify that your teen might be asking. High performance in school. This again is something that's very common, especially at Westlake High School. Um, so again, it's not really gonna narrow it down, but um, it is another way that someone, a teenager is masking. They um, can identify self-worth externally much easier. So getting high grades is going to be something that they identify strongly with. However, with getting those high grades also follows high self-critique. So when the kid gets a 98 instead of 100, it's hugely devastating because that 98 is a reminder that that kid is not perfect. And if they don't feel perfect internally or okay internally, then that is now an outside example of how that is true. Leadership roles, again, very common at Westlake, but another um, identifier of masking. Appearance at life is perfect. Actually, I had a client tell me who is a high-functioning, um, depressive, young teenage girl. She said that the biggest trigger for her is when someone says that she is perfect, even though she's the one telling everyone her life is perfect. So that's just something to keep in mind um, in terms of the idea that even though the teenager is saying everything is fine or perfect, it actually might be um, a very big trigger if someone say, oh, your life is perfect. Um, and then finally, two more terms that are very commonly used in the teenage population. I am just chilling or um, being identified as easygoing. So some things to consider. Um, depression is a serious condition. Um, the symptoms aren't personal. You're not responsible for your teenager's depression. Um, it may feel that way, you may want to take ownership, but you it is not your responsibility that your teenager is depressed. Um, but there are things that obviously you can do to help support them. Um, hiding the problem won't make it go away. Um, a lot of times, and a teenager may even encourage you, um, oh, I'm just fine, It just let it be, I'll be fine tomorrow. But hiding it doesn't make it go away. It actually um, can exacerbate the issue. Um, and then you can't fix their depression. You're not personally going to be able to fix their depression with half things because what they're battling is not these external things that can help them, um, you know, going to the mall with their friends or going to the movie or getting these sort of accolades. What's happening for them is internal. Um, and so you cannot be the one, unfortunately, responsible to fix them personally, but you can help get them to the care that they need. Okay, now on to everyone's favorite. Topic, social media. Um, just like with everything else that's talked about these days, um, social media does also relate to um, masking and high-functioning depression. So we have the three um, biggest social media tools up here, Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And yes, even TikTok is related to high-functioning depression. So First, I want to comment on the fact that social media is linked to a um, rise in depression. This is currently debated. There's not 
um, a decided, um, link right now in the current research. However, what I think the takeaway from all the research is currently is that while social media may not be shown to cause depression, it is absolutely linked to depression. Whether or not the kid has depression beforehand and then the social media is causing it to be exasperated, or the kid did not have depression beforehand and then the social media kind of spurs that internal doubt, that internal self-critique um, hasn't been um, concluded decisively, but I think that we can all agree that social media does not always leave the teen or adult feeling great about themselves. I do want to point out, though, that it does have a very specific relationship to high-functioning depression, and I'm going to go into that a little bit further. Um, the biggest role that I believe social media has for high-functioning depression is that with masking, it's going around during school, being happy, highly performing on every task, and social media is allowing that kid to go home and put that perceived reality into a social media platform, therefore making it the reality that they get to see visually and also gets the firm, gets the friends to also confirm that that is the reality that the teen is experiencing. And as we know, most people, including us as adults, are not posting pictures of us when we've had a bad day or when we're alone without our friends. We're posting pictures of us looking happy, great hair, great outfit. So it allows any sort of... Um, idea that the kid is happy and perfect and doing well to become what everyone else is seeing as well. Also, the kid gets to remain anonymous in terms of who the kid really is on the inside. So that characteristic of feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling very self-critical doesn't get to be seen. And the kid thinks. Comparison is also... Um, really prevalent, as I'm sure we all can identify with, on social media. So if you're having a day where you're already critiquing yourself, of course, going through Snapchat and seeing your friends doing well and showing about what college they just got into, which is something happening currently, it's just going to further ignite that really negative self-talk. And finally, they're going to learn how they're supposed to look. So following Instagram accounts of people that they idolize or the Instagram accounts even of their own friends and seeing, oh, this friend is popular, this is how I want to act and look, and if I act and look this way, then maybe I'll be happy too. Um, and so that, of course, is allowing the masking to have more of a confirmation and an affirmation as they're looking at social media. So I'm going to talk to you about the social media. We've given you an, um, a layout of the symptoms that go with that and what makes it different from depression. So the next steps are the what to do, okay? So how do I identify this, but what, do, what are the next steps? How do I get my team support that they need? The first step is to talk to them. Um, so if you notice slight changes, um, maybe your teenager used to maybe give you at least a few more word answers before they ran upstairs and hid in their bedroom, or you, know, you notice that they're not even spending as much time with their friends or talking about their friends. Um, in the way that they used to, maybe they're trying to quit sports or quit a few things saying that too much going on. So when you notice those things, talk to them. Be a compassionate listener. Um, don't expect the one conversation to be the end of it. Oh, they're going to get help. Things are going to change. They're better. We've talked about it. No, it's actually just something you need to start with and expect that there's going to be multiple follow-up conversations. Um, 
So if next are a few ways to start the conversations. I've been feeling concerned about you lately and leave and just leave it. You know, what they say, see how they respond. Don't give them the answers. Um, recently, I've noticed the differences in you and I've wondered how you are doing. It's not evaluative. It's not, you know, any sort of negative con connotation. Like I noticed that you've been failing or I noticed that you've been um, grumpier. Um, it really just allows a, the platform of getting them to um, open up without any sort of expectations. Um, I wanted to check in with you because you have seemed pretty down lately. Um, and so just really, again, with these statements, leave them there and see what your team does with that. Um, again, they may dismiss it and they may be like, oh, I'm fine, typically. Um, and that's why I don't expect the first conversation to be the only conversation. What you can say that helps. You're not alone in this. I'm here for you. I may not be able to understand exactly how you feel, but I care about you and I want to help. Um, we'll go through some of the things that you don't want to say next, um, just because these are things that can help support them and not take away from their experience or evaluate their experience. You are important to me and your life is important to me. Tell me what I can do now to help you. Sometimes our teen, Agile know your teenagers are pretty smart at problem solving and sometimes leaving it in their hands allows a little bit more ownership of the next steps. So if they say, oh, maybe I should talk to someone, they're gonna be a lot more invested when you do finally bring them to someone when they've, dis when they've been able to own it themselves or recognize it themselves. So next is the what to avoid thing, because we want to open up the conversation instead of shut them down or make them defensive. It's all in your head. They're already probably telling themselves this. We all go through times like this. And then if you launch into your own experience, while that can be you're trying to be supportive and it has good intentions, it takes away from what they're experiencing. And as teenagers, we know are very egocentric. They think they're the experiencing this trouble at this time no one else feels the way they do no one else struggles the way they do so when saying that while it's well-intentioned or maybe trying to relate and open them up shuts them down because they feel like their experience no one else knows exactly quite how they're feeling and in ways that's true you know we don't know what's going on internally look on the bright side or you just won this or you just did this. Again, those are ways that kind of shut down the conversation or challenge what's going on internally while recognizing the external things that are going on. They don't resonate with that. You have so much to live for. Why would you want to die? And so challenging them, they can't necessarily explain their emotions away. As we know, emotions aren't necessarily fully rational. They inform us on what's going on, but it doesn't mean there's a lot you know, in the moment of an emotional space, it's not necessarily tied to a lot of logic. What's wrong with you? I don't think I need to explain that one. <laughs> Shouldn't you be better by now? So they've started getting support or help or, you know, they've been able to go out with their friends. Shouldn't you be better now? Well, it, I wish we could just turn it off like that, but unfortunately we can't. 
So one of my favorite people, Brene, um, she made a video around empathy and following what Marin just gave us as really good things that we can say and also really great things to avoid, I think Brene does a really great job showing how to really connect on a deeper level with your teen, especially when they're going through something that you can't especially um, understand. Okay, so I know that um, she makes it look really easy. Uh, in the moment, of course, it's a lot harder because you as a parent are probably feeling overwhelmed and scared, as the bear did mention, feeling overwhelmed. But being honest with the kid and coming that being honest with the kid about how you're feeling in terms of scared and overwhelmed is actually a way that you are getting down on their level. Um, Brene doesn't mention this, but another thing that I like to point out to parents is how the bear did literally get down on his knees to be at the level of the fox. I recommend that to parents too. Get down on the eye level of the teen if the teen is shorter than you. Um, or stand on your tippy toes if not. But um, I think that getting on the same level both literally and also um, with your words is a really good technique in order to connect and get that same kind of warm and fuzzy feeling. If it's unfamiliar to have those conversations or you do have a teen that's pretty jumpy and quick to defend or say, no, I'm fine, if find you trust, whether your partner, the other parent, and maybe even role play some of it, someone who knows the teen well, to kind of figure out what would be helpful to keep the teen talking. Um, and especially if it's not something that you're comfortable with doing or you've never approached it with the teen, your kid before, um, having that other person to kind of help you, support you during that time can be really beneficial. Um, so after you've talked with your teen, again, if the teenager can identify, you know, how can I help you? And they say, I'd like to talk to someone. That is the most ideal situation. But a lot of times you get teenagers who are like, no, I'm fine, or I just need to finish this test, or it's the failing grade and I'll do better and I'll feel better, um, and so they may be fairly resistant. So in that case, getting uh, an appointment with their your family doctor, their pediatrician, they do depression screenings all the time, and you can request that too um, when they go in just for a follow-up appointment. Um, meeting with a mental health professional for an assessment, you individually can meet with a mental health professional without your adolescent or kid, and ask them what, you know, what do you think's going on? Here's what I'm noticing the differences. Um, you know, Marie or myself, but we also have Heather and Mary Catherine right there, if you don't mind waving. Um, they're also down the road in our office, um, and they um, specialize working with uh, children and adolescents as well and young adults. Um, and so once you've gotten them to uh, get an assessment, you know, the therapist can kind of support you and what do you think the best course of action is? Is that weekly therapy? Sometimes when it's bad, it can be biweekly until it gets better. Um, talk therapy um, for depression, um, both types of depression, is going to be the most beneficial. Um, again, trying to push through, that's what they're already doing. And that's kind of, that just leads for fostering and really growth of that hidden depression. Um, medications. So I put medications last on here because medications is a mixed bag, especially in your young adolescence. Some medications can make the symptoms worse. Um, and so you want to make sure that 
it's not something you necessarily do just with your um, family doctor, but maybe go to a psychiatrist. Um, my recommendation in therapy in the effectiveness of treatment shows, there are studies that show that um, treating depression and anxiety in teens and in adults is better when it goes hand in hand with therapy. Medication alone is not nearly as effective um, because also too it takes medications at least usually up to two weeks to start working and that's if it's the right medication. Like I said, um, some certain medications can exacerbate the issue and even cause suicidal thinking in teens. Um, and so those are kind of and not that medications are bad, but you just want to make sure that your teenager is getting the support and having a therapist weekly versus the next psychiatry appointment, which is a month out, where you can see the therapist weekly can check in and make sure that your teen is doing right. Thank you all for your time. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archive video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.